Chapter thirty two of Buccaneers and Pirates of Our Coasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Buccaneers and Pirates of Our Coasts by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter thirty two. The Real Captain Kidd. William Kidd, or Robert Kidd, as he is sometimes called, was a sailor in the merchant service who had a wife and family in New York. He was a very respectable man, and had a good reputation as a seaman, and about 1690, when there was war between England and France, Kidd was given the command of a privateer, and having had two or three engagements with French vessels, he showed himself to be a brave fighter and a prudent commander. Some years later he sailed to England, and while there he received an appointment of a peculiar character. It was at that time when the King of England was doing his best to put down the pirates of the American coast, and Sir George Belmont, the recently appointed governor of New York, recommended Captain Kidd as a very suitable man to command a ship to be sent out to suppress piracy. When Kidd agreed to take the position of Chief of Marine Police, he was not employed by the Crown, but by a small company of gentlemen of capital, who formed themselves into a sort of trust company, or society for the prevention of cruelty to merchantmen. And the object of their association was not only to put down pirates, but to put some money in their own pockets as well. Kidd was furnished with two commissions, one appointing him a privateer with authority to capture French vessels, and the other empowering him to seize and destroy all pirate ships. Kidd was ordered in his mission to keep a strict account of all booty captured, in order that it might be fairly divided among those who were stockholders in the enterprise, one-tenth of the total proceeds being reserved for the king. Kidd sailed from England in the Adventure, a large ship with thirty guns and eighty men, and on his way to America he captured a French ship which he carried to New York. Here he arranged to make his crew a great deal larger than had been thought necessary in England and by offering a fair share of the property he might confiscate on a piratical or French ship, he induced a great many able seamen to enter his service, and when the adventure left New York she carried a crew of one hundred and fifty-five men. With a fine ship and a strong crew, Kidd now sailed out of the harbour with the ostensible purpose of putting down piracy in American waters, but the methods of this legally appointed marine policeman were very peculiar, and instead of cruising up and down our coast, he gaily sailed away to the island of Madeira, and then around the Cape of Good Hope to Madagascar and the Red Sea, thus getting himself as far out of his regular beat as any New York constable would have been had he undertaken to patrol the dominions of the Khan of Tartary. By the time Kidd reached that part of the world, he had been at sea for nearly a year without putting down any pirates or capturing any French ships. In fact, he had made no money whatever for himself or the stockholders of the company which had sent him out. His men, of course, must have been very much surprised at this unusual neglect of his own and his employer's interests, but when he reached the Red Sea, he boldly informed him that he had made a change in his business, and had decided that he would no longer be a suppressor of privacy, but would become a pirate himself, and instead of taking prizes of French ships only, which he was legally empowered to do, he would try to capture any valuable ship he could find on the seas, no matter to what nation it belonged. He then went on to state that his present purpose in coming into these oriental waters was to capture the rich fleet from the Mocha, which was due in the lower part of the Red Sea about that time. 
The crew of the adventure, who must have been tired of having very little to do and making no money, expressed their entire approbation of their captain's change of purpose and readily agreed to become pirates. Kidd waited a good while for the Mocha fleet, but it did not arrive, and then he made his first venture in actual piracy. He overhauled a Moorish vessel which was commanded by an English captain, and as England was not at war with Morocco, and as the nationality of the ship's commander should have protected him, Kidd thus boldly broke the marine laws which governed the civilized world, and stamped himself an out-and-out -out pirate. After the exercise of considerable cruelty, he extorted from his first prize a small amount of money, and although he and his men did not gain very much booty, they had whetted their appetites for more, and Kidd cruised savagely over the eastern seas in search of other spoils. After a time the adventure fell in with a very fine English ship, called the Royal Captain, and although she was probably laden with a rich cargo, Kidd did not attack her. His piratical character was not yet sufficiently formed to give him the disloyal audacity which would enable him, with his English ship and his English crew, to fall upon another English ship manned by another English crew. In time his heart might be hardened, but he felt that he could not begin with this sort of thing just yet. So the adventure saluted the royal captain with ceremonious politeness, and each vessel passed quietly on its way. But this conscientious consideration did not suit Kidd's crew. They had already had a taste of booty, and they were hungry for more, and when the fine English vessel, of which they might so easily have made a prize, was allowed to escape them, they were loud in their complaints and grumblings. One of the men, a gunner named William Moore, became actually impertinent upon the subject, and he and Captain Kidd had a violent quarrel, in the course of which the captain picked up a heavy iron bucket and struck the dissatisfied gunner on the head with it. The blow was such a powerful one that the man's skull was broken, and he died the next day. Kidd's conscience seems to have been a good deal in his way, for although he had been sailing about in various eastern waters, taking prizes wherever he could, he was anxious that reports of his misdeeds should not get home before him. Having captured a fine vessel bound westward, he took from her all the booty he could, and then proceeded to arrange matters so that the capture of this ship should appear to be a legal transaction. The ship was manned by moors and commanded by a Dutchman, and of course Kidd had no right to touch it, but the sharp-witted and business-like pirate selected one of the passengers and made him sign a paper declaring that he was a Frenchman, and that he commanded the ship. When this statement had been sworn to before witnesses, Kidd put the document in his pocket, so that if he were called upon to explain the transaction he might be able to show that he had had good reason to suppose that he had captured a French ship, which of course was all right and proper. Kidd now ravaged the East India waters with great success and profit, and at last he fell in with a very fine ship from Armenia, called a Quadog Merchant, commanded by an Englishman. Kidd's conscience had been growing harder and harder every day, and he did not now hesitate to attack any vessel. The great merchantman was captured, and proved to be one of the most valuable prizes ever taken by a pirate, for Kidd's own share of the spoils amounted to more than sixty thousand dollars. This was such a grand haul that Kidd lost no time in taking his prize to some place where he might safely dispose of her cargo and get rid of her passengers. Accordingly he sailed for Madagascar. While he was there he fell in with the first pirate vessel he had met since he had started out to put down piracy. This was a ship commanded by an English pirate named Culliford, and here would have been a chance for Captain Kidd to show that, although he might transgress the law himself, 
he would be true to his engagement not to allow other people to do so. But he had given up putting down piracy, and instead of apprehending Culliford he went into partnership with him, and the two agreed to go pirating together. This partnership, however, did not continue long, for Captain Kidd began to believe that it was time for him to return to his native country, and make a report of his proceedings to his employers. Having confined his piratical proceedings to distant parts of the world, he hoped that he would be able to make Sir George Bellamont and the other stockholders suppose that his booty was all legitimately taken from French vessels cruising in the east, and when the proper division should be made he would be able to quietly enjoy his portion of the treasure he had gained. He did not go back in the adventure, which was probably not large enough to carry all the booty he had amassed, but putting everything on board his latest prize, the Quadog Merchant, he burned his old ship and sailed homeward. When he reached the West Indies, however, our wary sea-robber was very much surprised to find that accounts of his evil deeds had reached America, and that the colonial authorities had been so much incensed by the news that the man who had been sent out to suppress piracy had become himself a pirate, that they had circulated notices throughout the different colonies, urging the arrest of Kidd if he should come into any American port. This was disheartening intelligence for the treasure-laden Captain Kidd, but he did not despair. He knew that the love of money was often just as strong in the minds of human beings as the love of justice. Sir George Bellamont, who was now in New York, was one of the principal stockholders in the enterprise, and Kidd hoped that the rich share of the results of his industry, which would come to the governor, might cause unpleasant reports to be disregarded. In this case he might yet return to his wife and family with a neat little fortune, and without danger of being called upon to explain his exceptional performances in the eastern seas. Of course Kidd was not so foolish and rash as to sail into New York harbor on board the Quadog Merchant, so he bought a small sloop and put the most valuable portion of his goods on board her, leaving his larger vessel, which also contained a great quantity of merchandise, in the charge of one of his confederates, and in the little sloop he cautiously approached the coast of New Jersey. His great desire was to find out what sort of a reception he might expect, so he entered Delaware Bay, and when he stopped at a little seaport, in order to take in some supplies, he discovered that there was but small chance of his visiting his home and his family, and of making report to his superior in the character of a deserving mariner who had returned after a successful voyage. Some people in the village recognized him, and the report soon spread to New York that the pirate Kidd was lurking about the coast. A sloop of war was sent out to capture his vessel, and finding that it was impossible to remain in the vicinity where he had been discovered, Kidd sailed northward and entered Long Island Sound. Here the shrewd and anxious pirate began to act the part of the watchdog who has been killing sheep. In every way he endeavored to assume the appearance of innocence and to conceal every sign of misbehavior. He wrote to Sir George Bellamont that he should have called upon him in order to report his proceedings and hand over his profits, were it not for the wicked and malicious reports which had been circulated about him. It was during this period of suspense, when the returned pirate did not know what was likely to happen, that it is supposed, by the believers in the hidden treasures of Kidd, that he buried his coin and bullion and his jewels, some in one place and some in another, so that if he were captured his riches should not be taken with him. Among the wild stories which were believed at that time, and for long years after, was one to the effect that Captain Kidd's ship was chased up the Hudson by a man-of-war, and that the pirates, finding they could not get away, sank their ship and fled to the shore with all the gold and silver they could carry, 
which they afterwards buried at the foot of Dunderberg Mountain. A great deal of rocky soil has been turned over at different times in search of these treasures, but no discoveries of hidden coin have yet been reported. The fact is, however, that during this time of anxious waiting, Kidd never sailed west of Oyster Bay in Long Island. He was afraid to approach New York, although he had frequent communication with that city, and was joined by his wife and family. About this time occurred an incident which has given rise to all the stories regarding the buried treasure of Captain Kidd. The disturbed and anxious pirate concluded that it was a dangerous thing to keep so much valuable treasure on board his vessel, which might at any time be overhauled by the authorities, and he therefore landed at Gardner's Island on the Long Island coast, and obtained permission from the proprietor to bury some of his superfluous stores upon his estate. This was a straightforward transaction. Mr. Gardner knew all about the burial of the treasure, and when it was afterwards proved that Kidd was really a pirate, the hidden booty was all given up to the government. This appears to be the only case in which it was positively known that Kidd buried treasure on our coast, and it has given rise to all the stories of the kind which have ever been told. For some weeks Kidd's sloop remained in Long Island Sound, and then he took courage and went to Boston to see some influential people there. He was allowed to go freely about the city for a week, and then he was arrested. The rest of Kidd's story is soon told. He was sent to England for trial, and there he was condemned to death, not only for the piracies he had committed, but also for the murder of William Moore. He was executed, and his body was hung in chains on the banks of the Thames, where for years it dangled in the wind, a warning to all evil-minded sailors. About the time of Kidd's trial and execution, a ballad was written, which had a wide circulation in England and America. It was set to music, and for many years helped to spread the fame of the pirate. The ballad was a very long one, containing nearly twenty-six verses, and some of them run as follows. My name was Robert Kidd when I sailed, when I sailed. My name was Robert Kidd when I sailed. My name was Robert Kidd. God's laws I did forbid, and so wickedly I did when I sailed. My parents taught me well when I sailed, when I sailed. My parents taught me well when I sailed. My parents taught me well to shun the gates of hell, but against them I rebelled when I sailed. I'd a Bible in my hand when I sailed, when I sailed. I'd a Bible in my hand when I sailed. I'd a Bible in my hand by my father's great command, and sunk it in the sand when I sailed. I murdered William Moore as I sailed, as I sailed. I murdered William Moore as I sailed. I murdered William Moore, and laid him in his gore, not many leagues from shore, as I sailed. I was sick and nigh to death when I sailed, when I sailed. I was sick and nigh to death when I sailed. I was sick and nigh to death, and I vowed at every breath to walk in wisdom's ways as I sailed. I thought I was undone as I sailed, as I sailed. I thought I was undone as I sailed. I thought I was undone, and my wicked glass had run, but health did soon return as I sailed. My repentance lasted not as I sailed, as I sailed. My repentance lasted not as I sailed. My repentance lasted not, my vows I soon forgot, damnation was my lot as I sailed. I spied the ships from France as I sailed, as I sailed. I spied the ship from France as I sailed. I spied the ships from France, to them I did advance, and took them all by chance as I sailed. I spied the ships of Spain as I sailed, as I sailed. I spied the ships of Spain as I sailed. I spied the ships of Spain, I fired on them amain, till most of them was slain as I sailed. 
I'd ninety bars of gold as I sailed, as I sailed, I'd ninety bars of gold as I sailed, I'd ninety bars of gold and dollars manifold, with riches uncontrolled as I sailed. Thus being overtaken at last I must die, I must die, thus being overtaken at last I must die. Thus being overtaken at last, and into prison cast, and sentence being passed, I must die. Farewell the raging main, I must die, I must die, farewell the raging main, I must die. Farewell the raging main, to Turkey, France, and Spain, I shall ne'er see you again, I must die. To execution dock I must go, I must go, to execution dock I must go. To execution dock will many thousands flock, but I must bear the shock and must die. Come all ye young and old, see me die, see me die, come all ye young and old, see me die. Come all ye young and old, you're welcome to my gold, for by it I've lost my soul and must die. Take warning now by me, for I must die, for I must die. Take warning now by me, for I must die. Take warning now by me, and shun bad company, lest you come to hell with me, for I die. It is said that Kidd showed no repentance when he was tried, but insisted that he was the victim of malicious persons who swore falsely against him. And yet a more thoroughly dishonest rascal never sailed under the black flag. In the guise of an accredited officer of government, he committed the crimes he was sent out to suppress. He deceived his men, he robbed and misused his fellow countrymen and his friends, and he even descended to the meanness of cheating and despoiling the natives of the West India Islands with whom he traded. These people were in the habit of supplying pirates with food and other necessaries, and they always found their rough customers entirely honest, and willing to pay for what they received, for as the pirates made a practice of stopping at certain points for supplies, they wished, of course, to be on good terms with those who furnished them. But Kidd had no ideas of honour toward people of high or low degree. He would trade with the natives as if he intended to treat them fairly and pay for all he got, but when the time came for him to depart, and he was ready to weigh anchor, he would seize upon all the commodities he could lay his hands upon, and without paying a copper to the distressed and indignant Indians, he would gaily sail away, his black flag flaunting derisively in the wind. But although in reality Captain Kidd was no hero, he has been known for a century and more as the great American pirate, and his name has been representative of piracy ever since. Years after he had been hung, when people heard that a vessel with a black flag, or one which looked black in the distance, flying from its rigging, had been seen, they forgot that the famous pirate was dead, and imagined that Captain Kidd was visiting their part of the coast, in order that he might find a good place to bury some treasure which it was no longer safe for him to carry about. There were two great reasons for the fame of Captain Kidd. One of these was the fact that he had been sent out by important officers of the Crown, who expected to share the profits of his legitimate operations, but who were supposed by their enemies to be perfectly willing to take any sort of profits, provided it could not be proved that they were the results of piracy, and who afterwards allowed Kidd to suffer for their sins as well as his own. These opinions introduced certain political features into his career, and made him a very much talked-of man. The greater reason for his fame, however, was the widespread belief in his buried treasures, and this made him the object of the most intense interest to hundreds of misguided people who hoped to be lucky enough to share his spoils. There were other pirates on the American coast during the eighteenth century, and some of them became very well known, but their stories are not uncommon, and we need not tell them here. As our country became better settled, and as well-armed revenue-cutters began to cruise up and down our Atlantic coast, for the protection of our commerce, 
pirates became fewer and fewer, and even those who were still bold enough to ply their trade grew milder in their manners, less daring in their exploits, and, more important than anything else, so unsuccessful in their illegal enterprises that they were forced to admit that it was now more profitable to command or work a merchantman than to endeavour to capture one, and so the sea-robbers of our coasts gradually passed away. End of chapter 32 End of Buccaneers and Pirates of Our Coasts by Frank R. Stockton